Welcome to Corizant Technologies, home of the Digital Executive Podcast. Welcome to the Digital Executive. Today's guest is Dr. David Levian. Dr. David Levian is President and CEO and Board Chairman of the American College of Healthcare Trustees. Dave practiced clinical surgery for 33 years, 20 of which were as Chairman of Surgery and 12 as Program Director of a Surgical Residency. He has served as member of the Board of Directors of the College of Physicians of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia County Medical Society, the Chamber of Commerce of Pleasant Hill, California, and the Shores Acres Point Corporation of Mamoronic, New York. David has been president of the Baltimore Academy of Surgery and the Pennsylvania Society of Colon and Rectal Surgery. He has been vice president of the Academy of Surgery of Philadelphia and vice president of the National Society, the American Society of Colon and Rectal Surgeons. Dave has also patented a medical device, published three surgical books and multiple papers, and achieved the faculty rank of Clinical Professor of Surgery, Jefferson Medical College, and Professor of Clinical Surgery, New York Medical College. He received his BA from John Hopkins, his medical degree from Georgetown, Kuma Laud, and MBA from University of Massachusetts Eisenberg School of Management. Good afternoon, Dave. Glad to have you on the show. Great, Brian. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. Dave, we've been uh, colleagues for several years now. First met back in 2013, but just appreciate you coming on to the show today and do have some questions for you and our audience. While I have a good understanding of your background, you do have an impressive one as a physician and a surgeon. But now that you founded the American College of Healthcare Trustees, could you give us a little history here and, and why you created this organization? Absolutely. And by the way, we are very honored to have you as a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Trustees. And you're being very modest. As you know, you won our Semmelweis Award for Leadership. And again, it's great having you as a colleague. So I practiced surgery for 33 years and was a chairman of surgery for 20 years and ran a residency program for uh, and was involved in postgraduate medical education and also education of medical students for most of my 30 years. So we founded the American College of Healthcare Trustees about seven years ago. And the reason we founded it was to improve the quality of governance, leadership, and decision-making in healthcare. I know it's it's almost trite to say that healthcare is very matrixed and there are a lot of people involved in each decision, but it's true. And that's probably a good thing because many of the decisions are complex and it needs many different talents. So we, um, we really promote leadership and we try to break down silos. So our fellows are members of boards of directors, members of the executive team, other physicians and nurses, therapists. We have a number of entrepreneurs and business people because there's no question, especially nowadays, that entrepreneurship and scientists are basically partners in improving healthcare. Our curriculum is aimed at members of the boards of directors in the sense that that's the level. People don't need to get into the weeds, but they do need to understand what their coworkers in healthcare are doing. So our curriculum includes quality and safety, business decision-making, information technology, human resources. We consider compliance to be extremely important to us. So in any event, we promote meta-leadership and we try and promote cross-pollination among the various disciplines. 
I appreciate that update. And I know you're very involved and you have quite a large variety of professionals and physicians across your network. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. What's your strategic goals for American College of Healthcare Trustees this year? Dave, anything particular? Absolutely. So uh, we use a process of idealized design. So many people use SWOT analysis to develop their strategic plan. And everybody in this audience, I'm sure, is, is very familiar with SWOT analysis. Yeah. But we've been doing that for so many years, we wanted to do something new. And one of our board members is an expert in idealized design. So what you do is you look and decide what you'd like your organization to be five years from now, as if there were absolutely no barriers. So then you design your organization, and then one by one, you try to remove the barriers. But anyway, a strategic plan is is like a uh, battle plan. It's only good until the first shot is fired, and it obviously has to change after that, meeting the exigencies of the situation. But right now, we're very involved with disrupting healthcare delivery. It's our position that American healthcare is the best in the world. It's the delivery system that's broken. So what we're doing is we're working with WOW Health Solutions, this group in Michigan, which has developed a plan platform for transparency in healthcare and where physicians and hospitals can list their services and their price and employers and consumers can log on. We're very involved in telehealth. We're very involved in using artificial intelligence and natural language processing to automate cancer registries and to speed up the time between diagnosis and treatment of cancer. We've just gotten involved with a company that uses AI and data mining to improve the patient experience. And we're also doing continuing medical education. We were approached by a company that creates artificial tissue, and they want us to run webinars on regenerative medicine. So we have lots and lots of things going on. It's very exciting. We're even doing some work in the revenue recovery space with the idea that no margin, no mission. That's amazing. Taking a different approach for your strategic planning. I like that idea. And I've been involved in a lot of strategic planning at the board member level and the senior leadership teams. That's one approach I have not seen. So thank you for sharing that. So Dave, how can others might get involved to help your cause? I know your your website is FACHT.org, but how might others get involved? Well, there are many ways, and we really welcome people as fellows. Pretty much anybody who's listening to your podcast, Brian, is going to qualify as a fellow. They can go to our website, and there's a button for member sign-up, and they can apply, and they'll hear right away if they're accepted. And almost certainly any one of your listeners would, would be accepted. As a fellow, there's great opportunities for networking and you get access to the member directory so you can easily contact our fellows and our board of directors. And it's great for cross-pollination to solve problems for you or your organization. So that's one great way to, to get involved. Then we have blogs on our website and people can certainly participate in the blogs and fellows can participate in the forums. 
We also have a list of benefits on our website. You don't have to be a fellow for many of the benefits. For some, you do. But these are typically benefits that can save your organization money, allow you to be a good steward of resources, and often save your organization enough money that more than covers the dues to become a fellow. You can look at documents on our website. We try to put as many useful documents there as possible because our goal really is to improve society. And I know you don't have to be a fellow to access the documents and videos, except for the videos that we have as part of our courses. You don't need to be a fellow to access them. And I believe you can even upload useful articles. For instance, if one of your readers had a, let's say, an important paper on the use of the internet of, of things in healthcare, and they thought it was particularly good, it could be uploaded to our website so that uh, everybody could read it. So there are lots of different ways. And actually what we love to do is to collaborate with people to improve things. Anyone is free to contact me to schedule a phone call and I try and help you uh, achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. I appreciate that, Dave. That's very helpful. And I'm sure folks that are involved in healthcare or, or maybe indirectly anyway would like to be a part of this growing community to improve, you know, better governance in, in healthcare, obviously. Dave, on a timelier subject, as you know, we've got this pandemic worldwide. Can you give us your perspective on COVID-19? Anything we can help the healthcare community besides staying home, right? That's one thing we can do, but anything that you see or hear or, or think besides... 3D printing respirators, right? So if you want to share one thing that might be helpful for the community? Well, I think you've certainly mentioned one of the great things that people in information technology can do and the concept of 3D printing ventilators and even masks is an exciting one. Actually, I think my son is doing something like that because he's into 3D printing. But one thing is just information. I think that knowledge is very important. So uploading documents to our website and blogs is one of the ways people can help. But one of our associates, and we have no official affiliation with him, he's got an organization called RIP Medical Debt, and he's been featured on all the major news shows. So there are many people in America that have major medical debt, and they're really impressed by it because they want to pay it back, and they can't. So churches and other organizations, uh, sometimes even towns and other communities, are raising money to pay off people's medical debt. And it's kind of interesting because, as any one of your listeners knows who's been involved in Revenue Cycle, there are companies that buy medical debt. So I'm just pulling the numbers out of the air, but let's say a hospital has a million dollars in bad debt. They might sell it to a factor collection agency for $100,000, so, you know, with a 90% write-off. But still, the people that owe the money are harassed and feel oppressed. So a church might buy that medical debt, you know, a million dollars of medical debt for $100,000 and um, forgive the medical debt of all their parishioners. And one of the things I'm proposing to him is to do the same thing with student debt. And even if he doesn't want to, our chief financial officer happens to be a PhD in finance, and he's creating a course on how to avoid avoid student debt. And I think student and debt is important because it affects the specialty that people go into. 
So if they're doctors, uh, they can't afford to go into one of the lower paying specialties because they have $200,000 in debt. If they're an IT person, they might have very large student debt and they can't afford to be involved in charity because their medical debt is so high. So we're going to probably be involved with helping people uh, avoid student debt. And I'm probably going to be recommending this chap for just for charitable purposes, RIP medical debt. I think that's some good insight on how we can help people that do have medical debt. You know, right now, as you've heard, some of the uh, industries, verticals, especially hospitality has been hit really, really hard. And I know this is going to carry into other areas. So I appreciate the fact that uh, you're involved in helping sharing that message. So Dave, last thing that our users like to know a little bit, I wrap it up with the last question. If you can give us just a nugget, could you offer any advice to those that may or may not be in healthcare that can create better governance for healthcare, improve the system as you, as you mentioned earlier? Absolutely. So governance, boards of directors are modeled after town councils in the Middle Ages, where townspeople had neither the time nor the education or the inclination to run the town to supervise the mayor and the bailiff. So they appointed a town council to supervise the mayor and the bailiff. And the modern board of directors is similar. It's to keep the executive team in a for-profit. It's to keep the executive team maximizing value for shareholders, or some people believe for stakeholders, which includes stockholders, employees, customers, and the surrounding community. In a not-for-profit, there are no shareholders, and the board of directors is responsible for keeping the executive team beholding to the community and making sure that they don't forget why a nonprofit was founded. So if you relate that to a hospital, you know, it might be true that no margin, no mission, and it is true, but any income above a certain point should go towards improving the health of the surrounding community. And that really is why we're founded. You know, if you look at the financial equation, as you know, double entry accounting was created around the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of the modern age in in Italy, but assets equal liabilities plus equity. And in in a for-profit, as you know, equity is common stock, preferred stock paid in capital, and it's your profit each year. In a nonprofit, I look at equity as being an organization's endowment and community benefit. That's what board members are responsible for doing, making sure that the executive team runs the hospital for the benefit of the community. Thank you for sharing that. That's very helpful. I've had several other professionals and physician colleagues like yourself on the show, and there's a lot that's happening in healthcare right now. And I I honestly think that healthcare is about ready to get disrupted and may not be too early, especially with what this pandemic is causing from a supply chain crisis in a way. So thank you for sharing, Dave. And I really do appreciate you being on the show today. And I look forward to talking with you soon. I look forward to it, Brian. I really value our relationship. Thanks again, Dave, and bye for now. 